Hey there, Laura here. For the month of August, the podcast team is going to be taking a summer break, but don't worry, there will still be new episodes every week. For the next four weeks, we are jumping back to share a few of the most viewed sessions from the past Church Mental Health Summit. And I cannot wait to share some of these fantastic talks and resources with you. And I'm excited to share that the 2022 Summit is open for registration. Over 50 speakers from around the world are coming together to equip the local church to support mental health in their churches and communities. So to check out the speakers and to register for this free conference or free online summit, go to churchmentalhealthsummit.com. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out, so listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. On the show today is a flashback to one of the top viewed sessions in our 2021 Church Mental Health Summit with Tears of Eden's founder, Catherine Spearing, and board member and therapist, Gina Roth. Courage is contagious. When my youngest daughter was young, we tried to convince her to take off the training wheels and move on to a two-wheeler. She was really physically capable and seemed to excel at everything else physical, like swimming lessons and gymnastics and the trampoline. But for weeks, she refused to remove the training wheels. One weekend, we were joining our friends at a campground, and if you've ever been to a campground, you know that it's pretty much run by the kids gang on their bikes. So before we left, we knew that if there was any weekend, this would be our chance to get her off of those training wheels. But she struggled to keep up with the other kids, and we thought for sure after seeing them riding free and booking it around the campground, she would finally take off those training wheels but instead she was embarrassed and chose to play at the park instead. But a few days later, when it was quiet, when no one was watching, she came to us and said she was willing to try. After watching the other kids at the campground, she had the courage to step out of her comfort zone and try something new. Well, the Me Too movement started in 2006. It was 2017 that really got people's attention. The more people talked about the abuses perpetrated by those in power, the more people seemed to come out and share their stories. Courage is contagious. And we've begun to see how people stepping out and sharing has caused so many people to rethink their own experiences. Was that interaction appropriate? Was I being manipulated? With a greater understanding comes more reflection. Abuse can be insidious. The subtle impacts of gaslighting or spiritual manipulation can leave a person feeling confused, powerless, ashamed, anxious, and depressed, but yet unable to put their finger on what is the cause of all these feelings. Tears of Eden is a community of survivors who have experienced abuse in the evangelical community. Its founder, Catherine, is a seminary-trained leader with 10 years of ministry experience on staff with churches all over the U.S. and in Central America. 
Like many in ministry, Catherine has been witness to and experienced firsthand harmful things done in the name of God, and she seeks to use her story to help fellow wounded ministry workers navigate the aftermath of spiritual abuse. Gina Roth, she served as a missionary in East Africa before returning to the U.S. and becoming a counselor. She's now a licensed professional counselor working with those who've experienced complex trauma and spiritual abuse and helps her clients reconnect with themselves, others, and God. Spiritual abuse is a topic that has been amplified by the many reports of abuse that are now becoming public. Because remember, courage is contagious. With so many people talking about spiritual abuse, it's important for ministry leaders to be aware how they can support people in the healing journey and further prevent harm. I felt that this was a timely conversation to have because many are reflecting on their own experiences and on their leadership. This is an opportunity to consider how, as leaders, we can model healthy leadership and be part of someone's healing and building trust in a loving and faithful Jesus. This episode can trigger some emotional reactions for those who have experienced spiritual abuse. In their session from the 2021 Church Mental Health Summit, Catherine and Gina explore spiritual abuse, deconstruction, reconstruction, and how the church can engage with this vulnerable population by providing safe opportunities for healing. If you have been a victim of spiritual abuse, this session will help you navigate and destigmatize the journey that you're on. And if you are a leader, Use this session as an opportunity to reflect on how you are supporting those who are on a healing journey. I hope you enjoy this flashback from the 2021 Church Mental Health Summit. Hi, everyone. I'm Catherine Spearing. I'm the founder of Cheers of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. I am here with friend and fellow board member Gina Roth, who is also a licensed therapist who works with survivors of spiritual abuse. And tonight we're just going to be talking a little bit about spiritual abuse, what exactly it is, why it's important for the church to understand it, and why it might be important for you to know a little bit more about it. So that's just what we're going to be talking about. Um, Gina, do you want to introduce yourself and talk a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, so I'm Gina and I am a, a counselor. So I work in spiritual abuse recovery. I lead groups and work with individuals who are coming out of spiritually abusive situations. Um, and that's all the way ranging from like a full-blown cult all the way to, you know, just minor hurts within a church. So there's a broad spectrum of what those experiences could look like. But um, one of the things that we find in spiritual abuse is that there is an impact in three areas that relationship with self, relationship with others, and relationship with God. So being able to be on the front end of that and really helping people walk through that process of attachment repair, I like to do in my practice. And really part of what I've been able to contribute to Tears of Eden, we've been able to design some programs and stuff to work in a trauma-informed way to towards giving resources to people who have come out, out of spiritual abuse. Yeah, so for people who may have never heard that term before or may be hearing that term, but then there's just a lot of misunderstanding around it and we're not really sure what it is, I get the question all the time. So what is spiritual abuse? Do you have a definition that you like to use for spiritual abuse? The, the short answer to that is no. So I've talked about this a lot. Like I, I think that it, it's almost like a learning program. Like as soon as you start to name out what it is and what it isn't, then those abusive systems really adapt that they're, they're not 
quote, fitting that specific definition, which makes it really tricky to nail down. Like I said, those three relationships are things I'm looking for. There's usually some position of power and that's tied to a spiritual power. So that's an important component. And there's some sort of selfish or personal gain that's achieved through that breach of trust that happens in spiritual abuse. Uh, do you, Catherine, do we have a, a definition that we use as Tears of Eden that you want to share? Yes, our concise definition on the website is the deliberate use of God in the Bible to cause shame and harm leading to a breakdown in relationship between God's self and others. That also is a little narrow too. It's more complex than that. And even that word like deliberate use, there's a lot of people who abuse spiritually because they're told that that's what God expects from them. And that is the right thing to do. I know I have done that before, just thinking this is the right way. And we're taught that way and that's ingrained into us. And so there is a difference there. And I think that that's interesting that you highlighted that institutions will adapt if it's too defined, because I think that that's an important aspect of the spiritual abuse conversation is that there are people in the church that we don't want to think about it and we don't want to realize it, but it's true who are deliberately abusing, using God and using the Bible. And that's something that we have to keep in mind and something that we're always going to be navigating as we talk about this within a church context. Yeah. Well, and I like what you said too about that deliberate use. I don't know that it's always conscious. Like I think people can hurt other people within a church text or using spiritual power and not always be aware of it. And in those cases, I think we see the impact of spiritual abuse more when they're confronted with it. And what do they do? Right. So if they respond out of defensiveness and self-protection and all of that, then we're probably looking at somebody who's not repentant or aware of their own power even. And then that can be even more dangerous. And that's something I think we can give grace on, you know, when we do accidentally or unknowingly or subconsciously hurt somebody to be able to take responsibility for that right away, I think is really important. It helps us to sort of not get on the front end of it and not in a manipulative way, but to own the fact that we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes and we're all going to have these points where we quote fail or, or fall short of what we should be doing with our power. And I think that also brings up the reality that a lot of times people who are not deliberately abusing are often in situations where they're also being abused, which might be why a lot of that defensiveness comes up and why this gets really sticky and really messy in a church context. Why would you say it is important for the church to understand this? Because I think it's happening, whether we understand it or not, it's happening to to people who are coming to our churches, it's happening to staff, it's happening to pastors and other ministry leaders. It is happening. We can't just put our fingers in our ears and sort of like tune it out, right? We have to be aware of what's going on and some of those tactics that are being used. And again, I think there is such a spectrum of those who are doing it intentionally all the way to those who, you know, this is just what they learned growing up. And so they're just repeating with what they were taught or what they learned and they're not doing it maliciously or to harm people. It's just part of the system, right? So that's, I think, maybe the biggest reason why we should talk about spiritual abuse and those systems in, in place, because we can actually change that system if we're intentional and if the system is not toxic, right? So a toxic system is going to want to protect itself. 
Whereas uh, a healthier system is going to be pushing towards, you know, bringing good things out and, oh, there's this pattern. Let's see if we can change that or, you know, turn that around to where we're actually supporting the people who need our help. Shifting gears just a little bit, because you mentioned the system and how when we do talk about this, it's usually not one specific person, especially in a church context, there's usually a system. And we've been hearing a lot of us have been listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which is a podcast that really does address the system as well as an abuser and a perpetrator. But there's also been some controversy about the podcast, especially from survivors of spiritual abuse Mm -hmm. in some of the directions that it's taken that might have led to some misunderstanding about spiritual abuse. And I think that that's, that happens when it gets into that deconstruction conversation mm-hmm. that can be somewhat of a taboo term in the evangelical community. So let's spend some time just unpacking that, how the deconstruction conversation can get intertwined rightly with this spiritual abuse conversation and maybe some misunderstandings and some misconceptions about spiritual abuse. And I don't actually have a question. <laughs> There's so much there, Catherine. I'm like, okay, okay, where are we going to go with this one? So, uh, well, let's let's start with let's start with deconstruction and reconstruction because um, I think it is essential that we tear some things down and that we rebuild. If we're just thinking of deconstruction and reconstruction as that, I think it makes a lot of sense and it's a really helpful and important model, like you said. Deconstruction is not a very welcomed term within church circles. It's associated with people deconstructing their faith altogether or becoming heretics, where I think most people, when they're actually going through deconstruction, are deconstructing evangelicalism, or they're deconstructing a specific set of beliefs that they've believed locally. They're not necessarily deconstructing the whole faith until people start to turn on them. So I think one of the most helpful things we can do is actually support people in deconstruction. If you think back to the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation, those are deconstruction too. So really it's not a new concept, but lately it's gotten some traction as this negative thing or this process that's going to harm and hurt people where really what it could be, and if we were to reframe that, we could call that a refining process, right? We're all having, I don't know about you, but like I have, I have little pieces where I've unintentionally merged culture with Bible right? And so even just pulling those things apart and saying, wait a second, I didn't know that until this particular impetus came up, right? This particular issue came up and exposed that. I need to take a good look at that and see if I'm really on target with what I say I believe. So I I think from that perspective, the church could really support deconstruction in a way that's healthy and constructive and not in a way that is condemning, because that does further isolate people away from a church community. We have a lot of people who come through spiritual abuse recovery, and they want to maintain some sort of relationship with the church, but the church doesn't know what to do with them, and they end up pushing them away. Why do we do that, right? That is not the way it's supposed to be. So being a safe place where people can explore, where they can ask those questions, where they can risk in relationship and not get shot down or called a heretic or accused or or put on a list of, you know, people who are, all these people are not worth listening to anymore. I mean, whatever, whatever that mechanism is within the church, whether that's slander and gossip or whether that's something more formal or excommunication, I think we could do a lot better job of including people and creating a safe place for them to explore. Because if the church really is this place for healing, 
then we should be able to ask those hard questions and be met with love and compassion and not be met with judgment and condemnation. I think it's important to pull out one of the relationships that can break down when someone experiences spiritual abuse and that's relationship between ourselves and God. And Mm -hmm. I think it's important that the church knows what that can look like because I think what happens when you experience that breakdown between yourself and God, when you've experienced spiritual abuse and that that breakdown rightly occurs, you know, justifiably, understandably occurs when someone uses the name of God and uses the Bible to cause you harm, Mm -hmm. psychologically, emotionally abuse you. And that relationship breaks down. I think it's important that the church knows what that can look like, because I think what happens when someone reaches that end of like, I can't do God anymore. I can't do the Bible anymore. I can't do church anymore. Folks in the church tend to freak out. And that's, I think, what leads to you're a heretic or you're not a Christian Mm -hmm. or whatever. And so can you describe a little bit what you have seen it look like when that relationship breaks down? Yeah. So one of the things that's really hard about that relationship with God specifically, so those, those attributes that we see in churches, whether it's from pastors, ministry leaders, other people, you know, our parents there, they have a spiritual power. What happens is that there's actually like a modeling that happens. Rightly so those people are supposed to show us the character of God in the same way Jesus showed us the character of God, the father. So as we experience abuse from one of these powers, then that's also translated onto that spiritual power. So, so then if the person who abused you was manipulative and lied and deceitful and was generally creating something that wasn't true, then you might start to think that God is lying and manipulative and deceitful and creating things that aren't true or that are for his own personal gain, but not out of care and concern for you. And that really is not the character of God. So we really want to try to provide some separation to say, no, this this is God and this is man, right? This is is perfect. This is sinful and really separate those things out as much as we can. And it's not easy, right? So there's an existential quality to that innately. There's going to be, you know, who am I? Who is God? What's the purpose of life? You know, some of those deeper questions that come up, those are going to be central because it shakes the core of who we are, right? Our identity is taken because of this abuse and we need to spend some time deconstructing. So taking off what those things are that are not right and rebuilding in what things are true and right. And that takes time. I think that's the biggest part about deconstruction is that it takes so much time and intentionality And the church is not always there for us, right? So the church is not a safe place to be having those questions or expressing those doubts. You know, we've talked with different pastors. They'll like right off call you a heretic or say that you're not of faith. And like, wait a second, like I believe in this core set of beliefs that you would need to be able to be called a Christian, but I don't believe in all this extra stuff anymore. Or I'm deconstructing evangelicalism in a way that I'm not deconstructing my faith as a whole. In some ways, that's actually a more solid faith than it was before because you're actually tuned into God or the higher power piece of it in ways that you weren't tuned into him when you were trusting only in a pastor or a church system. So it doesn't have to be a threat to the church. I think we view it as a threat and we see cases, you know, like different public figures who have come out and there's a moral failure or there's big scandal around their story. And I mean, honestly, I think those things are 
are happening more and more and they're coming out more and more because it's become safer to do so. Like it's, there's been more of a power shift and people are more okay to express those hurt. We have to figure out how we want to, as a church, receive those things. But I think one of those ways can be to hold space for people to really let them have the time to process through that, to ask questions, to explore, to process externally. So many of us are external processors and there are not a lot of safe places to externally process within the church. So that's what I'd love to create is that space to be able to externally process and to let people be where they are. We don't have to prescribe an outcome for people. If we really truly believe that God is the one who does this work, then he can bring somebody through deconstruction, even if it takes them years right? Decades even, or even if we don't see that change the way we might want to see it in our lifetime. Absolutely. And I love that you said that it doesn't have to be a threat to the church. And if I could say anything to the church, it's that these survivors are a gift. You want them in your congregation. You want people asking these hard questions. You want people who can go to these dark places. You want people who know how to grieve. You want people who understand pain. This is a huge gift to the church. This is not even a, oh, we need to learn how to accept. Like, oh my gosh, we need to accept these people into the church. Such a precious gift and not a threat at all. should not be a threat. And if it is a threat and, and if a church does find that threatening and anxiety inducing and fear inducing that is a prompt we need to see that as a prompt to ask why that scares us why does it scare us that somebody says I don't know if I can do God anymore I don't know how I feel about this or somebody sobbing and you know motions all over the place and like why does that scare us why does that make us uncomfortable that's something that I would ask from the church to explore for sure. Absolutely. I think that's such a great point that that is a benefit to the church, right? We need people who are going to, again, that iron sharpens iron. We want to continue to to bring our community of believers into alignment with what we say we believe. And part of that is through that, you know, pruning process. You know, that's a very biblical concept of you know, we want to prune those branches so that they bear more and more fruit. And here's some people who are gifted <laughs> at it coming in and, and showing you where you need to cut. And instead of, instead of taking their advice, we're actually putting them away and saying, we don't, no, thank you. Right. We don't want you, your help. Um, and we're really saying that we don't want a part of the body of Christ here. Um, and that's a really, really hard thing for us as a church yeah. to, to be saying to people. And I, I don't think that's right. Absolutely. And what do you hope to see for the future of spiritual abuse recovery and how does Tears of Eden play a role in that? Yeah. So one of the things that we are doing at Tears of Eden is collecting resources. We are putting together programs and and really trying to build community. I believe strongly that when people are hurt in community, one of the best places for them to heal is also in community. Even though we have that broken relationship with others, that doesn't have to be a long-term or permanent thing that we can start to in a safer place rebuild trust. And part of that rebuilding trust is having the empathy of other people who get it. And they have been through similar experiences and can help walk with you through difficult circumstances as you come out of a spiritually abusive situation. Even just having somebody there who validates like, wow, that's so hard. That really, that's a hurtful thing. Or I can't believe they said that, or that shouldn't have been said maybe. Yeah. I would love to see creating something of a community where spiritual abuse survivors can gather and grow strong 
and then go back into churches and back into the world and make a statement, make a, an impact for recovery and trauma-informed approaches to, to care following spiritual abuse. And in terms of like Tears of Eden, so Tears of Eden is a great part of that because we are trying to be that hub. We're trying to be a place where people can come to kind of a one-stop shop. If we can just be a network, we don't have to do it all, but what if we could connect other people to resources and keep book lists and provide different groups for building that community and training people up so that we have a similar vocabulary so that we can talk about our stories in ways that make sense and help people to to start down that road of processing their story and their experience. One final question, because this is kind of the work that you do for Tears of Eden, is talk about the importance of being trauma-informed as we talk about spiritual abuse and why that's important. So trauma-informed approach is so important because this does hit in our brains as a trauma. If you look at a lot of times when when there is somebody who's having an active trigger related to spiritual abuse, whether it's a familiar phrasing or a familiar smell, um, different different pieces, aspects of church, um, of the church experience may be triggering. It really does model after a post-traumatic stress sort of response. And, and that's probably what's happening in the brain is that, you know, our, our brains are going offline and that amygdala is no longer communicating with the cortex. And that's creating that disintegration that is resulting in further separation because your brain's trying to keep you safe right? So it's trying to separate you out. And so part of what we're doing as a trauma-informed approach is helping to create that safety so that your brain can safely reconnect and reintegrate. And then we can start to work on some of the storyline and the narration of what happened and how those things were so hurtful. So that's that's kind of the premise of the trauma-informed approach is that we want to, one, not be doing more harm to people and two, to bring people into a place where they can start to heal and recover. Yes, and at Tears of Eden, we are focusing on that resource part so that that does give us that language and that cognitive understanding, so that's important. We are focusing on that community part so that folks can interact with people who have been through the same thing, who understand that experience, who don't look at you like you're crazy, but that's all on this foundation of trauma-informed care and understanding that there is a trauma that has occurred when someone experiences a chronic situation of spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. And so that's really important to me. It's really important to Gina. And um, we would love to interact with you at Tears of Eden. You can visit us at tearsofeden.org. There's an affiliate podcast called Uncertain, which is just our number one way for raising awareness about spiritual abuse. And it's also the number one way that people usually find Tears of Eden. So we'd love for you to interact with us there. And we'd love for you to get in touch with us and check out our resources. Catherine, what is one more thing maybe that you would want to say to survivors of spiritual abuse, just as kind of parting words? You're not alone. It's so isolating. And it just is such a relief when you get to talk to somebody who, like I just said, doesn't look at you like you're crazy and just says, I get it and you don't have to explain it, that's just such a relief. It really is. And so you are not alone. There are, unfortunately, there are hundreds and thousands of folks who've been through this too. And and we care about you and we're here for you. And we are so glad that you got up today. What about you? I would say to be patient. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with other people as much as you can to hold space and not rush into things, right? To, To give yourself that time and space 
don't feel like you have to get to a church right away. If, if you need the time, take the time. Don't feel like you have to create meaning out of your story just yet. It's going to take time, right? You're not, you may not even be safe yet. And so that that's important that you just realize that it's going to take time and you can take that time and that that's safe to do so. Well, thanks Catherine for the conversation and for founding Tears of Eden and for all that you do in that work ongoing conversation around here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So grateful for you, Gina. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope that you've been encouraged by this session. If you're struggling with the impacts of spiritual abuse, you're not alone. And I hope that you are able to connect with a trusted supporter like Tears of Eden and help navigate healing. If you found this session helpful, then you're going to want to sign up for the next Mental Health Summit on October 10th. Registration is free and gives you access to all 50 talks. Just go to churchmentalhealthsummit.com for registration. Thanks for connecting. Take care.